Trollodren, Legends and Lore. Episode 13, Girthgull. Well, hello and welcome. My name is Chad Corey, and this is episode 1 of the second season, or actually episode 13 of the ongoing series of podcasts as part of the Legends and Lore series here that we do. And for those who are not familiar with what the concept is behind this series, Generally speaking, we look at taking aspects of legend, lore, mythology, interesting tidbits, stories, and other things that I think might be appropriate to share and pass on in podcast form with you. So far, we've had 12 previous episodes in which we've covered the basic building blocks of the Trelodrone cosmos and reality, and we've kind of recently wrapped up the introduction to the titanic rulers of the ancient cosmos and leading up now into what we're going to talk about in this particular uh, series now, the next 12 episodes, which will be the gods the Trela- of the Trelodron cosmos. Or I guess more specifically, the gods of the Trelodron pantheon, because they don't necessarily rule the entire cosmos in and of itself. We'll maybe talk about that in the episodes that follow. But in general, what I want to do, I'll give you kind of an overview here for each of these episodes, how they'll be laid out is I will be approaching the gods. We'll probably be able to get to all of them because there are quite a few of them and we have more gods than we have episodes. But what I'll be doing is getting into their basic overview of who they are, what they're about, sharing some fun information and backstory and so on and so forth, like we've been doing previously with the previous entries for the Titans and the Titan rulers. But I'll be doing this in the process of their birth order. So starting with... The oldest and working my way down from there and then following that getting into the gods who followed after that so again it'll be kind of a methodical process but also kind of a fun process like i said because we'll be getting more of the historical angle as far as who was born first and who kind of had what influence going on well before the other person came about and and so on and so forth so should be fun looking forward to it and again, this, like I said, this will be kind of an overview of what we're looking to do. And if you want to know more about what some more specific details, I would encourage you to check out some of the books that are currently out there on the market. We have the second book now coming out for the Wizard King trilogy. That is Trial of the Wizard King. You can actually pre-order that now and get a hold of a copy. It comes out in March, and that will share and actually introduce readers to the beginnings of the Trelodron pantheon. So... Without further ado, let's get into this episode's particular person of interest, who would be Girthgal, the firstborn of Vakar and Zora. And just in the way of a refresher for those who are joining us anew for this episode, or just maybe forgot since last episode, Vakar and Zora were the first gods of the Trelodron cosmos. Vakar actually brought himself up to that level through some uh, various nefarious, or I guess, interesting in uh, ways and he brought his wife Zora up with him in the process and if you want to know more about that you can check out the previous episodes where we go into more depth about that and leading up to his rise to power with them though they gave birth to a dynasty a divine dynasty which has now been ruling and reigning for quite a many generations over not just Trollodron but also the entire 
parts of the cosmos over which they have influence and power. So that's kind of who they are, and they have been instrumental in establishing a lot of the structure and formation of the rule and the direction that the gods would take after them since they were killed and destroyed by one of the gods themselves, one of their offsprings, I should say, which we'll get to later on in this series. But we also talk about it in uh, the previous episode, so no, no real spoilers there. But they are, like I said, they established the formation and the foundation upon which the future gods would incorporate and expand as the years progressed. And Girthgal was their first child. So who is Girthgal in general? Well, as we said, he's the first in the cosmos to be born a god. That's someone who actually was born with the ability innate in him. He wasn't something that rose up from something else, a lesser state to a higher state. He was born that way. He's also the eighth ruler of the Thangarian uh, Empire. He took over his father's place following his death for a short period of time. He's also the last ruler of the Thangarian Empire, which we'll talk about in a moment. He is the brother to Ganatar, Othon, Raiden, Saradel, Asarlak, Osora, and Kuthon, the uncle to Kassila, Indarian, Perloza, Remolas, and Shiril, and the father of Sidra. He's also the leader of the Dark Gods. And some of his titles of interest, for those who are following along at home, are Night Lord, Bringer of Chaos, Father Chaos, Lord of Entropy, God of the Norms, or God of Dragons, Firstborn, and then Shifting One. And his symbol has been called the Black Sun. It's really a wrought iron circle with arrows pointing out in each of the eight directions. Uh, if it's used on banners, the circle is black over a purple background. When used for priest necklaces or pendants, the pendant is crafted of wrought iron and affixed to either a purple stained leather thong, cloth, or a wrought iron chain. And basically, he is known as the god of chaos, darkness, dragons, entropy, and Lenorms. And his realm is Alteran, which exists as a combination of a couple different realms. We talked about that before, I think, in previous episodes. So I won't get too much into that. His allies are the Lords of Chaos, Lords of Darkness, and the Dark Gods. And because he kind of sits in that weird spot of, you know, chaos and darkness and the Dark Gods and stuff like that, he's, he's had enemies from time to time from just about every, every point of uh, order or structure in the cosmos. So he's not like, he's not necessarily always everyone's enemy, but he's always, he's had some knocking of heads or challenges in the past with many parts of different factions of the known reality of the cosmos. And those who prefer to make him their god of choice or just at least give him lip service are known as Girthers. And they are not, uh, as you can imagine, given the god of chaos and darkness and all that fun stuff, he's not a readily sought after or pursued deity of choice by many. Often his organizations are more cultic in organization and structure and that's probably how many of them prefer since they don't really know what they're doing most of the time. They have to make up a lot of the structure as they go along as far as the belief structure and the tenets and things as they, as they go. So it's a very fluid and I guess you can say organic type of religion that many seek to adopt and, and use for their own preferences and, and devices. But in most cases, he's not really worshipped or pursued in a, in a bloody or detrimental or destructive sense. And so a lot of his uh, 
offerings or sacrifices, if you will, are more ceremonial or devotional in aspect. They're not really, you know, they're, they're money, time, various things, uh, incense or, you know, sacred things that are perceived as being sacred by the people in that religion at that time. So they're not necessarily like involving human sacrifice or things like that. So they're not, like I said, detrimental or entirely destructive in their nature. And so in most cases, it keeps the, the cult organization off the radar and off people's concern because, you know, they could just be perceived as people as, oh, just those goofy girthers over there doing that stuff. And they're not really seen as a real, real threat by the general population in most cases. But what about the God himself? Who is he and what does he look like and what is he about? Basically, he is like all the other gods. Uh, well, what the first generation of gods born he is 15 feet in height, about about 1,500 pounds, and he has uh, black hair, long hair that he tends to keep in a ponytail. He also has some unique eyes, which have the black with purple irises and black pupils. So basically, his eyes, where they should be white or black, with purple irises and, and black pupil, so kind of a, almost a solid black eye, which is kind of also marks him as unique, uh, added in with his plum-colored skin. So again, kind of someone you can, you know, it's hard to miss, and definitely uh, it stands out in a crowd. He also has the ability uh, as a mastery of, of elements of darkness and chaos, and he can command near unlimited power by right of his divine birthright and lineage. Part of the thing we talked about, and I think we covered in previous episodes, is that there's kind of a, I don't want to say degradation, but kind of a, a process where things that are born first or previous generations tend to be stronger, better off, healthier, longer lived, whatever you want to say. They're just better than the generation that comes after them. And that's especially true when it comes to the gods and getting the higher rank of power. And so being the firstborn of the first generation, he obviously has a little bit more strength or you know divine juice, if you want to, whatever you want to call it, than his other siblings and then the rest of the divine pantheon. Again, how that is measured necessarily, no one's really sat down and quantified that necessarily, but it is something that people can take into consideration and has been speculated by scholars and, and sages throughout time who have read the various uh, treatises and the historical evidence on the matter of him taking the throne is maybe why he was able to do so well in, in learning about it and even coming to not master it, but but use it more effectively and use it in the creation of Trilodron because of his birthplace. But basically, he's, like I say, he's a big, tall dude, <laughs> purple skin with some dark hair and some strange-looking eyes. He also tends to have a preference for going barefoot um, which he's been having go on now for, I guess, for a long time, since he's been a long-lived individual in general. But basically, he has the unique privilege of being more or less involved heavily in the creation of a lot of stuff. And I'll get to that in just a second. I want to back up by saying, first of all, he's the firstborn of Akar and Zora, and he was also the last king, or excuse me, emperor of the Thangarian Empire. And how that came about was when his father was killed, like I said earlier, by the hand of Sidra, who actually was his daughter. Uh, daughter through his marriage to, or actually not marriage, but a uh, relationship with a, a titaness. They produced this daughter, Sidra. 
And she was the first God spot. And we'll talk about what that means and who they are and what they're about in, in previous, and in, in not previous, but in forthcoming episodes. But in generally speaking, he took the throne once his father was, was killed, and he did that to save the cosmos. Because again, as we talked about in the previous episode with the car, how he set up the throne and how he established himself in it and with that power was not the most ideal, to put it lightly. He established himself basically as the center point of the entire cosmos in a lot of different ways. And so as long as he has stayed on the throne and stayed connected to everything, um, it, things are good. But as soon as he left the throne, he set up a chain reaction that would basically bring about and was continuing to bring about the destruction of the cosmos. And so Grithgal had to act quickly. He leapt onto the throne and he planted himself in his father's place and basically stopped the cosmos from destroying itself. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to save his father or his mother and uh, some other people. So he was stuck in that throne trying to figure out what to do with that situation. And he obviously being a god of change and chaos and entropy and all that, he wasn't a big fan of constant constant order and structure and, and, and staying in one spot all the time. And Because he, he's basically stuck on that throne. He couldn't move. It took him a long time to figure out just how to make the throne move and actually allow him some freedom and some flexibility. And during that time, he began to comprehend the utter folly of what his father had done and just the utter ultimate change that had to take place if they were to continue as a ruling family, as a dynasty, because after his father was killed, Grithgal took the throne, the other gods began to covet the throne for themselves, and they thought, well, hey, you know, I could be a, the ruler myself. I mean, basically all Grithgal did is he just ran in there and sat on it first. That doesn't qualify him to be a, a ruler of anything. And so there was a series of wars, there was a series of dynastic battles that took place, and Grithgal was, you know, he liked change, he liked to keep things different once in a while, but he also realized this could not be a sustainable model to adopt for the future for his family or for the cosmos or just for just anything in general. It wasn't going to work and it didn't produce anything beneficial for anyone. And he also knew just by sitting on the throne that this was not a life that he wanted to wish on anyone, let alone his family. And so he tried to figure out a way in which he could stop the, the bickering and the the fighting and the destruction that was taking place across the cosmos. And his solution was basically the creation of the Pantheon, establishing that there would be different factions of groups of gods who kind of fell along more or less philosophical lines of what they wanted to do with their you know, newfound power and place in the cosmos, and then also establish that there'd be some leadership that people could work together on and work collectively while also giving leadership of their own areas that they were ruling over previously in the now former Thangarian Empire, because it's basically been destroyed, it's been rutted apart by the destruction of the wars and such, and he basically just divvied it up and said, okay, you guys get this part, this part, this part, and everyone had their own little empire to rule over, which seemed to satisfy people. And then he also solidified them by making a group effort to create the world of Trilodon, well, actually the solar system of the Trilodon system. Because he wanted to get off that throne, and he decided to make this system as a last-ditch effort to remove himself from it and also put the throne out of place, out of touch, from the rest of the pantheon. And so they agreed to it. He was very convincing in his arguments, and they agreed to it, and together they established the world of Trilodon, the actually the planets and different things in that solar system, and also 
locked the throne of Vakar on the planet itself, hidden away and protected by a divine barrier that would limit anyone from getting access to it from outside the planet. So they thought that was done, they thought it was a peaceful thing, and it established a lasting peace and order that has gone on up until the present day. So he had a very, very big, strong element in building that foundation from the very beginning. He also established, like I said, the structure of the way things were done moving forward with the new order of the former empire. And he also brought into play divine council meetings and established the parameters and how they were going to be uh, gathered and what they could discuss and how the various procedures would take place. And they established the remains of the uh, Vakar's palace on Thangari, where he was kind of hanging out up until that point as a meeting place for those councils. Some of his other fun things that he did, of course, besides giving birth to Sidra, was he created the Lenorms in an effort to remove himself from the throne. He tried to create some powerful beings that would help him hopefully be able to somehow leverage himself off the throne and away from it finally and, and get his freedom. Unfortunately, that didn't work and that led to the creation of, of Trilodron. But until then, he was trying different things and one of them was with the creation of the Lenorms. So he actually made them and he was able to put them into the world of Trilodron after it was created. Until that point, they were kind of living on uh, the remains of Thangaria, kind of floating around, hanging around doing what they could there in the remains of that uh, planetary debris. He's also one of the gods who never really married. Again, he had relationships with a harem. He still does. And uh, he had more of a serious relationship with one of the members of his harem who brought him the uh, birth of Sidra. Uh, but he never really had any more children after that, obviously, because he was very, I don't want to say traumatized, but just never really got over the fact that he basically had to take care of his daughter and by sending her to the abyss and basically locking her spirit away for all all the eternity and eternal punishment for what she has done with killing of the uh, the first parents, Fakar and, and Zora. So he, he didn't really get over that and he didn't really want to have any more children after that. And so he's been kind of remaining that way ever since. Again, he still has relationships with people in his harem, but none of them have produced any any children. Other than that, he remains active on his uh, realm. He also remains interested in Trilodon, of course, since he's had an instrumental part in creating it. He also has interest in the Lenorms and now the dragons that came out of the, the lineage, the corrupted form of that. He has an interest in, in that to some extent, whether it's to maybe study them out and find out more about who they are, what they can do, or maybe try and find a way to save them or deliver them or redeem them, whatever the case might be, back to the norms. That's not entirely clear, but there is, like I said, some interest in that level as well. And I think with that, we will wrap up this particular episode with that introduction to Girthgal. Next time, we will talk about the next person who was born in the lineage, and that would be Ganatar. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey, all rights reserved.